0: Welcome to the Wild Huntsman. This week's episode is a little bit of a break. It's a short episode with a little bit of house cleaning, a little interlude, a sorbet, if you will. We'll be back next week with our interesting interviews with thoughtful, creative people, writers, scholars, hunters. This week we're just going to catch up. Hope you enjoy it. been reading a little bit this week as I want to do. And if you're listening to this, you're probably reading, keeping up on things. I've been, um, I don't even know if it's a conflict, but one of the themes of this show is my interest in certainly the story of the hunt. That's what the show's about. But how do we get to that and how do we explain that or explore that? And do we do it through how-to style manuals, which I've disparaged in the past. (laughs) No good reason, because I read them and I enjoy them and I get a lot out of them. Or do we do it through an exploration, maybe a philosophical or ethical exploration, like we did with last week's guest, Alan Morris Jones? Yeah, that's that's worthwhile. Do we do it through literary fiction or Ernest Hemingway's, etc.? It's all good. It's all important. It's what I've come down to. And in that spirit, I was reading um, a reprint of an L.L. Bean how-to. It was originally published in 1942 and I was reading the 1992-93, I don't know, 50-year, 51-year anniversary reprint of L.L. Bean's hunting, fishing, and camping. And L.L. Bean is a uh, big figure in outdoor sports. Outfitted a lot of us in the Northeast and throughout the world, and yeah, it's It's changed a little bit, right? It expanded and became fashionable outdoor wear for a lot of folks. But all those bigger companies that started out outfitting hunters specifically, like an Eddie Bauer. Eddie Bauer was a market hunter, and he outfitted folks on expeditions and that sort of thing when he started out. And that's grown and changed, and now there's a nod back to its origins abercrombie and fitch people are surprised to find out started out as a high-end outfitter in manhattan and outfitted people like hemingway went back a long time the staff of field and stream would go and shop there you know when all those big time golden age writers were coming out of the outdoor magazines that were located in new york city they'd be shopping at abercrombie and fitch to get their fly fishing gear and their hunting gear their rifles and shotguns and clothing. So things have changed a little bit. L.L. Bean still carries uh, hunting stuff. I still have a hunting vest. My son wears one of their first technical vests. (laughs) Just got a lot of pockets. I guess that makes it technical. It's also, it's not waxed canvas or tin cloth or anything like that. It's a modern material. I still wear the bean boots around. Not so much hunting. A little bit. A little bit. I'll wear them uh, if I'm changing into waders somewhere. Bored about in them. But So I think they still have some connection, certainly, more than, than some others to the, those others that I mentioned, at least, to the hunting and fishing group of folks. So I'm reading Hunting and Fishing and Camping by L.L. Bean. I read it. It's not a big feat. What charmed me about it, certainly, is that 1942 how-to manual from a New Englander. Leon L. Bean was a New Englander. So he told you to do, or how to do, opined on the best ways to do and he would know he was he was quite an accomplished outdoorsman but he talked a lot about the best ways to to do these things and when he did he did it like a stoical new englander (laughs) and didn't want to waste your time with too many hunting and fishing stories just wanted to tell you what he said in his introduction was the object of this book is not to bore my readers with personal yarns and experiences but to give definite information In the fewest words possible on how to hunt fish and camp ll used the fewest words possible that's for sure what i love there's a the part that made me chuckle to myself was he writes something on stalking whitetail and tracking whitetail and chapter one would be deer hunting on bare ground chapter two hunting in the snow he talks about deer tracking that's a big tradition in the northeast you know deer tracking where you have snow we've had a little bit of snow so far here I didn't get out deer tracking, unfortunately. Otherwise committed, I had promises to keep. I didn't have my priorities straight, maybe. But in Deer Hunting in the Snow, he tells you how to track deer. Does it in one page. It's not a full page. It's got a picture. And another wonderful part of this book is that the pictures appear to be, you know, like you can see the edges of them in the reprint. So it's got charm. It's imperfection makes it more appealing. But it's got that one page on deer hunting on snow, which is a one page on tracking deer. I don't know how many words, how much ink has been spilled, how many words have been written on deer tracking, but it's a lot of book. It's a formidable amount of books. I've read some of them, and they're not short. They might be succinct, but they're so detailed. LL did not think that that was important, that those details were important, because he wrote it in less than one page. And that's what I found charming about this, was just how uh, succinct. And for today's reader, where we have the Library of Alexandria open to us, in the form of the internet all information whether it's truthful or worthwhile or not is available to us we would be very angry and upset by these short descriptive how-to passages the chapters in ll's book you know we could rabbit hole for weeks on deer tracking to watch the videos and to watch the opinions of uh, experts and ll was an expert in most things outdoors but he basically just got it done in one page and my hat's off to him for that. I also read an article in Outside Online this week and that's a pretty good article. Great to see it in a uh, not a traditional hunting fishing hook and bullet publication. It's called The Beginner's Guide to Hunting. It was written by a man named Ian Foreman. Written specifically for the outside audience it seems because it's it's a little bit west centric in that Ian's uh, hunting bow hunting elk out west. So that's his experience, so he writes to that. So Ian wrote a, what I found a very impressive article. It was a great article intended for an audience that I think was primarily non-hunters, but people who were actively involved in the outside environment and actively pursuing outdoor sports and recreation. Because what I found particularly interesting was how he referred to a lot of hunting as a sufferfest. One of his headers is, ask yourself honestly if you're ready to suffer. Well, I don't think that would be a great sales pitch for picking up hunting for the general populace. It's honest, and I think it's appealing to those groups of folks, our brothers and sisters in the outdoors community, who may be backcountry skiers or climbers or mountain bikers, who obviously aren't afraid to suffer, who obviously find joy or value in testing themselves. That value is something that's well known to hunters. You can get away with uh, some forms of hunting, definitely uh, shooting without a lot of suffering, but I would argue not the great hunts or the worthwhile memorable hunts, those hunts that you remember in difficult times and that bring you some solace. Ian did a great job in that article and I'll put a link to it in the show's description. Also, this week I found something that brought me great joy. This is one of those small, unimportant things that just makes you smile. And it's from the Stitcher app. The Stitcher app is one of the applications you can use on Android, you know, to listen to the show. And some of you do that. But I looked, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm I'm too self-involved here. Maybe this is a character flaw. That I looked at my own website, uh, my own excuse me podcast on the Stitcher app, and what I looked at was down at the bottom. In a lot of the apps, you know, Apple Podcasts and etc., it'll tell you what listeners also like. If your listener subscribes to your show, what else do they subscribe to, or if they listen to your show, what else do they listen to? I looked at this previously, and it gave me the usual suspects in hunting. Right, it's it's hunting content. And those shows were great. I was happy to be lumped in the same group with them. This week I looked it up and there's been either a uh, glitch or a promotion or, and I kind of hope it's true, a group of Dungeons and Dragons style podcasts, fantasy uh, style podcasts. One of them being Dungeons and Daddies, Pretend Friends. It brought me great joy. The, The one that really stood out to me. If you're listening to this show and you're also listening to the major wrestling figure podcast where former WWE superstars talk about their hobby of collecting wrestling toys, please reach out to me. You are fascinating. If you're listening to me and a podcast on collecting wrestling toys, I I want you to reach out to me. I want to have an email exchange and find out about your life because that's fascinating. This isn't, I'm not judging. I'm not saying that's not a great podcast. I haven't listened to it yet. I might just to continue down this particular mode of inquiry, rabbit hole, this path, but I haven't listened to it yet. It's probably great. There's uh, former WWE superstars on there and those those people must be interesting. Not a Not a professional wrestling guy myself, but like I said, not judging. And since I'm talking about non-hunting podcasts. I've got a recommendation for what I've discovered recently and been listening to. It's Anthropocene Reviewed. Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. I love it. It's where he takes different aspects or facets of the human-controlled world. It's a podcast where John reviews different facets of the human-centered planet on a five-star scale. Listen to it. If you get a chance, it's wonderful. John Green is a novelist. He's an author, uh, mostly young adult stuff that I know of, and an interesting guy. I think he was studying to be an Episcopal priest at one point in his youth, and writes great young adult novels. Why would I know that? Because I've read a couple of them. I have young kids, and I read their stuff, and I read stuff before buying it for them, and that sort of thing, like probably a lot of you do if you have kids. I particularly enjoyed Turtles All the Way Down. It was a great book. If you're listening to podcasts and you listen beyond hunting content to other podcasts, there's a great amount out there, but this is the one that's been fascinating me. One episode he did, an April episode that he did, was on Monopoly and academic decathlon. It was great. Had a little autobiography in it, had a little bit of history. History of the board game Monopoly. And if you've been home kids are distance learning or whatever your situation is and you've been home and there are board games around you know the particular hell that being trapped in a house and playing board games can be monopoly being my least favorite (laughs) guaranteed to end in hard feelings designed to end in hard feelings it's terrible and since i'm talking about five star ratings or uh, rating the anthropocene i'm going to ask you folk to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you rate and review your podcasts. That'll help this podcast to grow and continue. And like I said, as we continue, we'll continue to talk to scholars and artists and authors and writers and hunters. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too.